The Inner Dominatrix Guide, Become a Badass in Business. Written and narrated by Dana Farrand. Chapter 1. My Story. When I first started speaking at events and conferences, I was floored by the number of people who longed to hear more of my story. They came up to me after my presentations to ask if my first book covered this or where they could find out the rest of the story. I will admit I had no intention of going into great depth about my story when I wrote this book, but after repeated requests, here it is. Until I was 18, I lived in a mild religious cult with a family who bought it, hook, line, and sinker. I grew up in the home of an elder, which is a church leader, in the Jehovah Witness religion. This organization does an outstanding job of keeping its disciples isolated from outsiders, which is one of the prominent markers making this sect more of a cult than a religion or belief system. While I did go to school with kids who were not of this religion, I wasn't allowed to socialize with them outside of school. In high school, I purposely sought out the nerdy girls to hang out with. While I got along with everyone, I was more comfortable with the geeky, unpopular group. They weren't judgmental, and they never had parties I had to say no to. It was easier that way. As a result, I failed to develop any kind of deep friendships at school, so when I chose to walk away from the religion at 18, I walked away from all of my family, community, and friends. I did not have outside support beyond that tight circle to help me through this experience. I moved out of this extremely strict religious household and moved in with my birth mother. Her home was the extreme opposite of the one I had just left behind. Here, there were free-flowing drugs, alcohol, and sex. It was as if I landed on a planet devoid of gravity, suddenly free-floating, without boundaries or a sense of what was okay and not okay. Anything I wanted to try was an option, which as a teen sounds great, but in honesty, it left me lost and grasping for air, nothing to land my feet solidly on and say, this is me. The choice to leave my father's home wasn't simple or easy, and yet I had been dying a little more each day by staying. His religion felt so utterly out of alignment with who I was inside. I had no words for that tiny spark deep inside except that I felt a pull to stand tall in the world, to have people see me and to make a difference. I had no idea how to do that or even how to articulate what I felt. All I had then was this overwhelming push to get out. Eventually, who I longed to become surpassed any fears I had about leaving, so out I went into the unknown world. Recently, while researching and digging deeper into cults, their effects, and how to break free of them, I stumbled across something interesting. Those who join cults lose their sense of identity and take on the thoughts and beliefs of these factions out of necessity to fit in, and sometimes even in order to survive. For me, I took on the idea that women were second class to men and were there for the pleasure and service of men. This was preached from the stage and modeled in the hierarchy of who was allowed to lead. Also profoundly embedded in me was this impossible to reach ideal of not making too much money when too much was never defined. 
However, the most intriguing part for me in my research was that when cult survivors finally break free, they gradually return to who they were before joining the cult. Having grown up in this cult, I had no identity formed, so I had nothing to return to. Instead, I see that in hindsight, that for the following 20 years, I tried on the extremes of just about everything out there. I sampled from a spectrum of ideas and ways of life until I found the balance point that worked for me. I tried out alcohol and drugs for a while. I tried abstinence for a while. Eventually, I found a balance point of enjoying alcohol without using it to run away from my emotions or painful situations. I sampled from a wide variety of self-help and self-improvement programs, diving headlong in, then jumping back out and denouncing the methods only to later pull some of it back in when I found a happy medium that worked for me. I spent many years attending groups like Al-Anon or ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics, which were helpful in gaining clarity on why I was feeling fucked up. At the same time, the programs had me telling the same story over and over, locking me into that story and my victim status. I also dove headlong into a modality called access consciousness. And while it gave me gifts to unlock things at this energetic level that I had not been able to get to before, it too was a mixed blessing. The further up I climbed the learning ladder and title status, the more I saw how insane and dysfunctional the leaders and their system was. At first, access consciousness gave me untold freedoms by releasing my body energetically. Then, like an abusive boyfriend who loved me deeply at first, showering me with gifts until eventually telling me I was crazy. If I was the broken one and he was perfect, I should adore him. Thankfully, I broke free of that interesting mess too. I did the extreme thing with food as well, taking on new eating regimes, going full out, then moving on to another. I embraced raw food with a passion I juiced with gusto and then sugar binged like a rock star. You name it, I tried it. From the outside, this looked really crazy. It wasn't until I read that information about returning to who you are after you leave the cult that it clicked in for me. I needed to try out these extremes and have a contrast in experience to see what worked for me. At 19, I signed up at the local massage therapy college and spent the next two years learning way more about the human body. At 19, I signed up at the local massage therapy college and spent the next two years learning way more about the human body than one would possibly think necessary to become a massage therapist. I can recall sitting in neurology class, suspecting I had gotten my classes mixed up and that I was in the program for neurosurgeons instead of neurology for massage therapists. Despite the incredible depth of our learning in our school, there was still a lot to be learned afterwards. No one talked much about energy work or the emotions of clients. Instead, we were told they were out of the scope of the practice for massage and to just stick to the tools and training. Being the rebel that I am, I ignored their advice and over the years studied in depth about energy and energy-based psychology tools. I noticed how intertwined a client's emotional state was to their physical state. I observed how when they would let go of emotions attached to things, the muscles would also release. 
I worked with one client who suffered low back pain for years. They had been to yoga, chiropractic, and four other massage therapists before me with little to no lasting change because the problem lay in the emotional energetic system and it feels different than a physical disruption. I asked questions as I massaged. I moved the energy block by inviting them to talk about the money stress going on in their life. The more they talked, the more the muscles relaxed. By the end of that session, the back pain was gone for the first time in years. Beating on the muscles until they let go was an ineffective use of my time. So I coached my clients through an emotional release. The physical complaint also shifted. While I was quite likely viewed as practicing out of the scope of practice, I earned a reputation for resolving problems no one else had been able to get a handle on for these clients. By testing out tools and seeing what worked repeatedly, I began the evolution of my work into coaching that I use today. While I was a massage therapist, I had one client who remains a dear friend. On her first visit, she disclosed that she was actively involved in kink, and there would be times that she would have bruises, and wanted me to know so that she could talk honestly about where they were from and not have to make up a cover story. She told me so that I would not be concerned she was being abused. The way she disclosed and how she was clearly enthralled by this lifestyle intrigued me. I wanted to know more. I had secretly fantasized about having sex while being handcuffed or tied up, trying out these very kinds of things, but I kept pushing them out of my mind. After all, they must have been some crazy warped way my subconscious was working out the abuse I had gone through, right? Each time Anne came in, I asked her a few more questions about kink. Anne openly shared with me in a way that was free of shame. We could have been talking about fine wine. She loaned me books. One of my favorite from those early days was Screw the Roses, Send Me the Thorns by Molly Devon and Philip Miller. A very comprehensive straight talk on how to add S&M into your life in a safe, sane, consensual way. I might have borrowed this book for a little too long, devouring a little more each night, savoring the delicious ideas and dreaming of the day when I could try them out. Experiencing this in real life was left to fantasy land. The partner I lived with at the time was not really keen on it, and in reality, he was more of a submissive, which was not much help for me to explore my own submissive side at that time. Eventually, I gave up the need to change him and left, opening my world to kink. I went to parties, joined FetLife, which is a kinky version of Facebook. I had tea with other kinky people and attended as many workshops as I could. It became my world outside of work, a society that changed me in more ways than I could have imagined. For my first party, I went with Anne and her husband and met some more friends there, Anne and her friends kept an eye on me, which is a common practice in the kink community for newbies. I went in thinking I was just going to observe and check things out. That lasted for all of an hour before I was sitting on the couch with handcuffs. Just observing, I see, called one of my new friends, keeping a watch, throwing me a wink. Once in, it's pretty hard not to be all in, and before I knew it, I was up on one of the spanking benches having my very first kink experience hitting the incredible high known as subspace, that place where all time stops and nothing else exists. 
I still laugh at the moment after my scene and a fellow party goer comes up to me and says how much he loved watching the two of us play and that I had a nice ass. Suddenly, the illusion that the scene was just me and my dom was shattered. The awareness that I was not alone and my whole experience was on public display came crashing down on me. During the scene, I had been completely lost in the moment. The only thing that existed for me was my partner and I. As if we were the only two people on the planet. It jarred me to say the least. To find out that my private island was not so private after all. It's incredible the tricks the mind can play on you at times. And yet despite my moment of awareness of being on display, the high was far greater than I could have ever hoped for or imagined. It left me with an even greater desire to experience more. These scenes, as they're referred to in kink, opened me up to see just how strong I was. I discovered a hidden ability to surrender deeply and to be transformed. I also felt fortunate to connect with someone who had a natural talent for healing and brought that energy to his scenes. His intentional awareness of the energy component of kinky play allowed my body to release the trauma. You see, trauma is stored on an energetic level in the body, so naturally that is how we unlock it, with energy tools. Through our private sessions together, I released years of trauma and abuse from my body in a way that I had not realized I needed. My pelvic area became more mobile and my orgasms were stronger and more easily reached. And those were just a couple of the changes I experienced. Only when the walls were gone did I realize just how much energy I had been using to keep them up and keep others at a safe distance. I finally made the connection between the lifetime of depression and the residual abuse stored physically and energetically in my cells, just waiting to be released. Trauma, such as sexual assault, sets up a program that negatively affects the body. Our bodies have a mechanism which controls the stress response. When we encounter a trauma and it is not addressed or resolved, then our bodies become disrupted. We can get stuck in the loop of pumping out adrenaline and cortisol, which in turn affects the rest of the body and eventually becomes severe adrenal burnout. Instead of the body hitting a reset after the trauma, it loops over and over into low-grade panic mode. This low-grade panic mode and constant cortisol pumping into the system is directly linked to the dysfunctions of the endocrine system, depression, and suppressed immune system. The loop can be effectively interrupted and brought back into harmony with an energetic release of the disrupting force, the trauma that is stuck energetically and its energetic programs. My surrender into the submissive role and recreating the scenes from my abuse with an outcome that left me feeling empowered and more connected to my body allowed me to break the energetic programs trauma had set up. These programs kept me on high alert all the time, which perpetually triggered the release of adrenaline and cortisol. Cutting these programs allowed me to relax again and calmed my nervous system. The depression lifted and my sense of well-being returned. My magical healing journey through this most unexpected source gave me a longing to try out the other side of the whip. I wanted to be the one to take people on this tour and unlock the mysteries held within.
I picked up an assortment of tools of the trade. Every new venture begins with some shopping, after all. And I ventured into learning the skills of the dominatrix. I bought beautiful custom lightweight whips with flexible handles that would not strain my wrists. White leather wrist and ankle cuffs, matching of course, some paddles, riding crops, and suspension gear to name a few of the goodies in my adult toy box. This adventure challenged me to grow and stretch personally in ways I never imagined. Learning to call someone degrading names was utterly out of my comfort zone, but what they requested and desired pushed me to set aside my preconceived ideas and to be able to show up for the person in front of me. Who I became to successfully pull off a convincing scene seemed to rewrite my very DNA. I stepped into this persona of the dominatrix, a woman who took charge, bossed people around for their own good, and never apologized, during the scene at least. I couldn't just pretend because the distinct energy from someone who owns that they're in charge is radically different compared to someone who fakes it. Many submissives will only surrender to a dom who is really steeped in that energy. I had to become her. It spilled over into my work and how I ran my business. I no longer let customers make unreasonable demands of my staff and me. I fired clients who disrespected me and allowed myself to take time off. I noticed how this inner dominatrix energy was the missing component when it came to the running of my massage supply outlet. I had not been running the business effectively. I hired people who needed jobs instead of hiring those who were a good fit for the position. This, of course, led to mistakes in orders and shipping, which cost me money at every turn. In fact, my million-dollar business teetered on the brink of bankruptcy. Bringing in my dominatrix energy made all the difference. That energy brought a stronger leadership to the helm, and although bankruptcy was unavoidable, Due to a series of unfortunate losses in the final months, I navigated those rough waters and turned the loss into something beneficial. I was fully willing to lose the business and then build it back up in a way that worked for me instead of attempting to make everyone else happy. I let go of having set hours for my store, took time off, and found creative solutions, like forming a partnership with another store who wanted my client base. And so they set up a kiosk outlet to sell my goods so that I could shut down the main store and go to Australia for two weeks. During this transition, I noticed over and over again that when I owned the dominatrix energy, which is to show up unapologetically, to serve deeply without compromising, and to acknowledge my level of skills and training, sales went up. When I let that energy slide, sales went down and customer complaints crept in. The pattern was as clear as turning a light on or off. The more I experimented with this inner dominatrix energy in my business, the more I clarified the value of the teachings of the dominatrix for business. I allowed that quiet confidence to ooze out of my pores for each client and supplier as we interacted. They walked away standing a bit taller as a result. I said no without any explanation or justification, which eliminated or reduced discussions and arguments from customers. 
I offered valuable upsells with zero attachment to the outcome, knowing it was in their best interest. Roughly 70% of the time, they happily said yes, and many of these customers thanked me for the recommendations the next time they were in. I began to see exactly how these skills and mindset were not only transferable, but vital for anyone running a company regardless of the niche or size. Thus began my quest to bring the Dominatrix Guide to Inner Power in Business to the World. I hope you have enjoyed this first nugget of the Inner Dominatrix Guide, Become a Badass in Business. If you are ready to become a badass in business, get the mindset and the tools that you need, the resources for you to step into your inner dominatrix, then jump over to innerdominatrix.com where you can get a free Kindle version of the Inner Dominatrix Guide, Become a Badass in Business. And then stay tuned to your email for the release of the full Audible version. Have an amazing day.